Welcome to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about education policy and whether there will be ethics reforms debated at the Illinois State House. I'll then join the Center Square's Dan McCaleb to further discuss those stories and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Knowledge is power, and you deserve to know what happens in your state government. That's why the Center Square's reporting zeroes in on state authorities publishing stories that show where your money goes and who spends it. The Center Square gives power to the taxpayer by tracking politicians' use of the people's money and demanding transparency from state-run agencies. This is how the Center Square equips you, the American taxpayer, to hold your state government accountable. Sign up now for your state's Center Square newsletter at thecentersquare.com. Welcome back to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Governor J.D. Pritzker and U.S. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona are reacting to concerns over political activism rather than education being taught in the classroom. In a statement released before their Springfield stop, Illinois Republican Congresswoman Mary Miller said Pritzker and Cardona have led the effort to force girls to compete against men in sports and to force schools to allow men into girls' locker rooms and bathrooms. Shannon Adcock, founder of parents' rights group Awake Illinois, said there is, quote, a war on biological truth. Boys invading girls' spaces, private spaces, um, this is a huge concern going into the fall, and we're certainly going to be keeping an eye on anything that the Biden administration and the, the Secretary of Education is going to do regarding Title IX. Cardona said such debates are divisive. They just want to disrupt what's happening. When I talk to parents, when I talk to educators, and when I talk to students, they're not thinking about what she's thinking about. They're thinking about what opportunities they have. And Miller also asked in her news release if the governor is going to require what she said are illegal COVID mask mandates. Pritzker previously denied that. In the wake of another conviction related to former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan's bribery case, there are new calls for ethics reforms. Kevin Bessler has that story. Madigan associate Tim Mapes was recently convicted of lying to a grand jury. In May, four of Madigan's allies were found guilty of conspiring to bribe the former speaker to help pass Comment's legislative agenda. House Republican leader Tony McCombie says there needs to be ethics laws with real consequences. You put some teeth behind those laws and some of those changes and put some penalties behind those, especially when you're looking at uh, Amy Ellick's bill, take away uh, threat to take away their pensions you're going to see some uh, decrease in that behavior. McCombie has introduced legislation that would end the practice of using campaign funds for a criminal defense. Madigan has reportedly used nearly $8.5 million of campaign funds so far in his criminal defense. I'm Kevin Bessler. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, I'll join the Center Square executive editor, Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Freedom and liberty are important to all of us in Illinois, from Rockford to Carbondale, from Quincy to Decatur. If you're looking for civil, intellectual conversations with those shaping the future of freedom, try the Future of Freedom podcast with me, Scott Bertrand. We speak with leaders across the country in the greater conservative and libertarian movements. In-depth conversations about where the next intellectual battles will happen across the country. It's the Future of Freedom podcast. Find it at americastalking.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Greetings and welcome to Illinois in Focus, powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Joining me again today is Greg Bishop, 
our Illinois Capitol Bureau senior reporter and editor. How are you today, Greg? The gang is back in full effect, Dan. It's been a couple of weeks since you and I have uh, sat down together. Yeah, that's a good point. I'd forgotten uh, I missed uh, last week. Uh, you had some vacation time. Glad you were able to take it. Um, well, we're heading into the fall. We got a lot of things going on. Actually, an interesting story this week, Greg, out of Chicago, where the Chicago Teacher Union president, uh, Stacy Davis Gates, who's been an outspoken critic of the state's uh, school choice program, Investing Kids, which expires later this year unless there's leg- legislative action. We'll get into that in a little bit. But anyway, Chicago Teachers Union President Stacy Davis Gates, it was re- revealed this week by numerous reports, including at the thecentersquare.com, that she reportedly sends one of her children to private school. Tell us about this. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, something that even uh, some rumblings on social media uh, have uh, have really been highlighting as hypocritical uh, and having a union president that's the president of a public school teachers union sending their child to a private school. That alone is enough for even members of the CTU to raise questions. Uh, but when you stack on top of that, uh, the 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 president's uh, previous statements about uh, school choice voucher programs or just school choice in general, uh, making statements on social media uh, saying that it's the, quote, actual choice of racists or calling them, quote, segregation academies, uh, that that just makes that hypocrisy that much more uh, distilled. And when people see this story, it just, it's, it's a head scratcher. Now, we have yet to hear anything uh, from uh, Davis Gates. Uh, she didn't return multiple messages that the Center Square staff has sought. Uh, and also other media outlets as well have been asking about this. But uh, there have really been no um, equivocal statements, uh, equivocal statements about about this situation and to address what some people see as hypocrisy. So I imagine we'll hear a lot more about this story. But uh, the fact that you have the Investing Kids program being the target of public school teacher unions, uh, saying that it diverts money away from public schools while you've got this union president, a president of the third largest public school teachers union in the country making these kinds of uh, movements. Uh, it's got a lot of people um, uh, raising a red flag. So I just want to go back, go back to just make make sure our listeners are clear. The, the It was Davis Gates who said on Twitter, now X, whatever, uh, that school choice, quote, was actually the choice of racists. And yet she has school choice. We, we reported uh, this week at the center at square.com that she, she has a salary, base salary only of $150,000 a year. So she has the means to make that decision. And, and I, I don't criticize any parent for deciding their, their, to send their student to the school of their choice. If you have the means, you can send your child to a private school. You can afford the tuition. Many Illinois families, many Chicago families, don't have the means. They don't have the income to spend whatever private school tuition is, $8,000, $10,000, dollars $12,000, $15,000. She has the means. She made the choice to send her child to a private school over a Chicago public school, which she oversees the union, of course. Many other families in Illinois, we've also reported at the Center Square, you know, about the outcomes. Many schools in Illinois, in, in Chicago particularly, don't have the greatest track record when it comes to educating kids, making sure they're up to grade level when it comes to reading, when it comes to mathematics. She's had the choice. She's made the choice to send her child to a private school, yet she's against 
lower income families um, having the same choice? It uh, seems to be that way. Uh, And you've also got a stack on top of all of what you laid out there, Dan, uh, about uh, how many times has the Chicago public schools teachers gone on strike in the past five years? Was it three? Is it four times? I, I, I lose track, but, you know, that kept students from going to school. Kept kids out of school much longer than most in the rest of Illinois and the rest of the country during COVID-19. And this is obviously uh, some concerns parents have. And like you said, those with means are able to send their children to a private school. But there's a lot of families in Chicago that rely on the Chicago public school system to educate their kids and the proficiency rates, not just in Chicago, but elsewhere throughout the state. Alarming in some cases, while you know some schools do well. Uh, Other schools don't. Uh, And even you had Governor J.B. Pritzker having to react to the proficiency issues uh, when he had a visit from the U.S. Department of Education Secretary uh, Miguel Cardona this week as well. So while proficiency issues are definitely uh, a problem across the, the state, you definitely see it in Chicago as well. Uh, while you've got uh, parents who can't afford a private school, um, really kind of captive by the public school system in Chicago with teachers, part of a teacher's union where the president is reportedly sending their child to a private school. Right. And as you said up front, Chicago Teachers Union President uh, Stacey Davis Gates has not responded to questions from the center square, but from plenty of media outlets across the state of Illinois about the, what seems to be, as you, as, as you mentioned, many on so- social media are calling uh, hypocritical. I think she needs to respond to it. CTU as an organization probably uh, needs to respond. It. So we, we're going to we're going to stay on that, Greg. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, even uh, Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson uh, should probably speak on this at some point as well, uh, especially uh, coming from the education system and having substantial support from the Chicago Teachers Union. Well, why don't we invest in kids, as we mentioned, is the uh, essentially Illinois' only school choice program that is that was put into place during budget negotiations um, with former Governor Bruce Rauner, Republican Governor Bruce Rauner, um, uh, during the, the huge budget impasse of 2017. Um, I don't want to remember that. I don't know that our listeners want to go back to that. But anyway, they put an expiration date on it, and that's to, uh, at the end of 2023. There are thousands of students who receive scholarships through that program currently who are facing being kicked off of those scholarships. Lawmakers return to Springfield next month, uh, Greg, for veto session. And you wrote uh, this week that uh, the Investing Kids program potentially attempts to extend it are uh, slated to be discussed during veto session. Well, tell us about that first and then what else we can expect from veto. Yeah, so veto sessions only six days worth. Over the span of about two weeks, there's a week off in between when they come back uh, late October, but only six days. And they've got a whole bunch that they could do. Uh, Of course, we'll talk about some of the vetoes and what some of the major conversations could be concerning energy policy, for instance. But the last six days of scheduled session for 2023, that's important because... Once 2023 is over, if lawmakers don't extend or lift the sunset on the Investing Kids School Scholarship Program, it goes away. Now, the program, as you said, 
came about. Part of negotiations is a school funding formula was changing and during the Rauner administration and part of uh, getting over a budget impasse. Uh, legislators agreed to create the Invest in Kids School Scholarship Program. What it does is it allows for private donors to put into a fund for a 75% Illinois income tax credit, and then those dollars they donate are given to granting organizations that deliver and grant dollars to families who meet certain income thresholds to send their children to a school of their choice. So if a family makes, I think it's 400% of the poverty line, then they can apply. If they get the funds, they use those funds for taking their kid out of either a public school they're not happy with or even a charter school they're not happy with and then have them pay tuition for a private school. That's what the Investing Kids program has, has done. There have been about 9,000 some odd families and students that have been uh, benefiting from this. Uh, and uh, the the success rates and the satisfaction rates from one granting organization, Empower Illinois, they report a 90 plus percent satisfaction rate with the program from parents who've taken their children out of failing public schools to go to a private school of their choice. Uh, so this program has been very successful and it's something that, again, expires at the end of the calendar year if legislators don't act on it and lift the sunset. So uh, one state senator, uh, Andrew Chesney, says this is going to be the fight of veto session. Again, six days worth of actual legislative days. Are they going to advance any kind of measure? Governor J.B. Pritzker, he's kind of been all over the place on this. When he's been asked about it before, he said he supports the program. Then when he's asked about it again, he says he supports changes to the program. Uh, then asked again, he'll say that, uh, you know, he's fine if the program's extended. He's fine if the program isn't extended. Uh, so we have yet to get a real definitive answer as to where the governor stands on this. That's what I was going to say. That's not a very solid ground one way or the other. It sounds a little indecisive. And, and not sure what that signals to the legislature uh, at this point, uh, because there is bipartisan support for extending the Invest in Kids program. Uh, and there have been families uh, going to the Capitol, uh, especially during spring session. Even I remember last year they were at the Capitol uh, with legislative days talking to their lawmakers. And I remember asking one of the organizers of the family saying, well, you guys are here in 2022. This thing doesn't expire until 2023. Um, and they're like, we're getting ahead of it. Uh, so they've been active. I imagine they'll be on the ground for fall veto session in late October um, talking to their legislators. If this gets across the finish line uh, and it's extended, families will have certainty going into the second half of the school year. But if they don't come in and extend it with the six days left of fall veto session for the calendar year, then the program will expire. And those families who are currently part of the program, they'll kind of be left in the lurch, so to speak, uh, without any funding for the second half of the school year for the private school of their choice. So this right. is going to be a well, that, pretty contentious issue during veto session. Yeah, and I was going to say that that issue alone could take up six days of debate and negotiation and back and forth and whatnot. But that's not the only issue that lawmakers are looking to address during a veto session. Greg, why don't you just give us you know, a, a summary of some of the other issues that could come up and they only have six days to get this done? Yeah, like lifting the nuclear moratorium, Dan. That'd take five <laughs> minutes, right? Also, uh, another issue, um, high power transmission lines and who should have, uh, you know, right of first refusal. Uh, another really easy issue to 
to, to tackle, Dan. Uh, these are two major things that Governor J.B. Pritzker has vetoed. Uh, one would have, and both bipartisan, uh, one would have uh, lifted the nuclear moratorium to allow for new nuclear generation facilities to be built in Illinois. The governor vetoed that, saying he wanted to focus on small modular nuclear reactors. Uh, so there's going to be some debate about that. They may just rewrite the bill entirely uh, to try to conform with whatever the governor is looking at and get that to his desk rather than attempting to override his veto. Uh, same thing with the Ameren transmission line issue. That's something else. So energy, I think, is really going to be a dominant issue during fall veto session. Uh, But here's the thing with fall veto session as well. They don't just deal with vetoes. They could deal with anything like the Invest in Kids program or like ethics reforms, for instance. Speaking of ethics reform, Greg, that was on my mind. I noticed until you just brought it up just now that that was not necessarily on the agenda of veto session. Longtime former House Speaker Michael Madigan, of course, faces more than 20 counts of corruption-related charges during his tenure as Illinois House Speaker. He goes to trial uh, next year. He has pleaded not guilty. His longtime chief of staff, Tim Mapes, was just convicted last month of charges related to that in federal investigation into Madigan. Of course, earlier this year in the spring, you had the ComEd Ford, where four individuals, lobbyists and others uh, close to ComEd, were convicted of corruption-related charges for influencing, attempting to influence at least, Madigan. Do you think that's going to be a part of veto session? Republicans are certainly pushing for it. A question that we really uh, don't have a clear answer to, Um, and this is something that uh, even Republicans were pushing for during spring session uh, and saying that uh, even after the ComEd 4 trial led to four guilty verdicts in that nearly decade-long bribery scheme that prosecutors alleged, uh, there was no movement on really substantive ethics reforms to address directly what was going on with ComEd and the what prosecutors called Madigan Enterprise. They did pass some ethics with a bill dealing with, uh, uh, I believe, uh, traffic uh, cameras, uh, you know, traffic enforcement cameras, essentially saying uh, something to the degree of uh, those in the industry can't donate to, you know, uh, politicians, uh, something along those lines. So they, they addressed some ethics. But it's the substantive things that Republicans are looking for, for instance, uh, changing House rules to allow for more input on what actually gets called instead of having it all go through the bottleneck of Democrats and the Illinois House Speaker. Republicans say the same rules that Madigan cultivated over decades are still in place under new Illinois House Speaker Emanuel Chris Welch. So Republicans are looking for changes to the House rules to help shore up ethics. They're also looking to give the legislative inspector general, the independent watchdog who oversees complaints to the uh, uh, against legislators and staff of the state house. Um, but the watchdog, uh, not necessarily independent, because there's still some things they have to get permission from a panel of lawmakers uh, in the Legislative Ethics Committee uh, Commission. Uh, so Republicans have been looking for more independence and the ability for the inspector general to essentially issue subpoenas in doing investigations. There's also issues like uh, trying to uh, prohibit the use of campaign funds to use by politicians in defense of criminal charges that they may face. 
like Mike Madigan. Uh, looking at campaign finance records, you can see Mike Madigan has used around $8.5 million in campaign funds to pay an attorney's firm that's handling his criminal case, which he faces trial next year on 22 counts just in the ComEd case. He faces a separate case with one count in a, a case related to AT&T. But regardless, he's been using these campaign dollars for this defense. We do have to note, former President Donald Trump is also using campaign dollars in legal defense. Uh, so that's one thing that Republicans are also looking to address is trying to prohibit that. But another measure that's been floated before in the past, even before uh, the the guilty verdicts and the indictments uh, against Madigan was to uh, try to uh, Madigan Enterprise, I should say, uh, was to, was to try to strip uh, pensions away from people who are accused of crimes. Right now, uh, I understand it that uh, if somebody's convicted of a felony, they could, if it's in service uh, from, from from something that they did while they were in service of the people, they could have their pension stripped from them. Uh, but what uh, one Republicans floated before in the past, Amy Yellick, uh, state representative, she said that uh, people who are accused, they should have a suspension of their pension while they deal with the criminal case. And if it's found that they are innocent and the a jury finds them innocent, then they get their pension back with whatever they were owed in between. Uh, but it's these types of things that I think Republicans are looking for. Will the Democrat supermajority even broach the issue of more ethics reforms during that six day window when they're dealing with nuclear energy and high power transmission lines and public private partnership contracts and possibly the Investing Kids Act? Is ethics going to be part of that uh, priority list? Yet to be seen, Dan. Thank you, Greg. Listen, in the just the couple of minutes we have left, I feel like it wouldn't be Illinois in focus if you and I didn't talk about the gun ban that Governor Pritzker signed into law back in January that's been challenged in courts. And that also includes a, regis- a registry for Illinois residents who purchased these now banned guns, that they have to register those weapons. But b- before the law went into a place, they have to now register those guns with state police. And that registry opens in less than a month, October 1st. And uh, if uh, people don't register by January 1st, 2024, if the law is upheld, because it's currently being challenged in the courts, then people could face criminal penalties uh, between a class A misdemeanor for the first offense and then a class three felony for second and subsequent offenses. So uh, there's obviously a lot of people waiting for whatever happens out of the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. There's a separate case that's going to be heard in the Southern District October 11th on whether this is too vague to be enforced. We still have questions about the Fifth Amendment and self-incrimination and how people are protected against incriminating against themselves. Some say filing an affidavit saying you own a firearm that was banned by state legislators. They say that that violates the Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination. So with all the legal stuff going on in the courts and still no indication what the outcome is going to be, people are looking at this October 1st window opening for the gun registry. But before we even get to that October 1st window, state police have to file rules. So that'll go in front of the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules, JCAR, because is it just going to be firearms 
Do you have to file an affidavit per firearm? Do you have to file an affidavit for springs and screws and bolts and triggers and other quote, attachments that could go on semi-automatic firearms. So there's a ton of unanswered questions, both on the legal side and also if it's upheld, what the rules ultimately are going to look like. As always, Greg, thank you for your important insight into these stories that Illinois taxpayers and our listeners here, they need to know about. But we are out of time. As you mentioned, listeners can keep up with all these stories at thecentersquare.com. For Greg Bishop, I'm Dan McCaleb. Please subscribe and thank you for listening. 